Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The 2021 MLB season is here, and although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Greg Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. A warm and friendly hello, welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Craig Peterson, we've got a great podcast for you. As in the second segment, we are going to be joined by our good friend Jeff Parles. He is back in the chair as the producer for Gil Alexander on a numbers game. He also does a lot of stuff on the weekends for the Vegas Ads and Information Network. And if you were watching VEASAN over this summer, I think he did like every show except for Follow the Money. I mean, this guy was pretty much the super sub of the Vegas Ads and Information Network. And that means that he covers a wide variety of things, including the baseball card on a day-in and day-out basis. We're going to be talking mostly about a lot of these divisional races, a lot of these playoff races, as these have gotten very hot and heavy. Talk about the St. Louis Cardinals, the race for that second wild card spot out there in both the National League and the American League. And then we are going to be taking a little bit of a look at the card for this Thursday as well. A little bit of a smaller card, but certainly is going to be a fun one. And then in the final segment, going to give you guys a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Thursday. And a little something I like to call, touch them all first things first. Always love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast. If you've got one or two ways, we'll throw those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters EM, they mean doesn't matter. So as per usual, send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast into the comment section of that five star review. Did not wind up getting in any questions today, but 
we had a great day of baseball on Wednesday. So let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. If you wanted a textbook definition of a must-win game on September 1st in baseball, you had it with the Boston Red Sox as they needed this one against the Tampa Bay race. And good gosh darn it, they got it. 3-2 to two the final. Chris Sale gives a great start. He gives up two runs over the course of six innings. Was taken deep by Mr. Wander Franco. Is now reached pace in 32 straight games. His seventh home run season. And for the Rays, Drew Rasmussen didn't give a lot of length, but he was relatively effective, giving up one run over the course of four innings. You can tell that they're trying to stretch him out a little bit. And the Rays' bullpen was relatively solid, but it wasn't as good as the Red Sox bullpen. For the Rays, you wind up having a scoreless setting out of the bullpen out of the combination of JT Chargois along with Adam Conley. David Robertson was able to give you a scoreless setting as well. And Colin McHugh, he winds up going two innings. He does wind up giving up a solo homer. And then Pete Fairbanks in the ninth inning winds up giving up a run, and that leads to the LS. Christian Vasquez was able to get the home run off of McHugh, his sixth home run season. And then Garrett Woodlock, who has been so reliable for the Red Sox all year long, a Red Sox bullpen that ranks in the bottom sixth with regards to bullpen ERA since the beginning of the month of August. He came through with two scoreless settings, and then Adam Adovino with Matt Barnes out of the fold winds up getting his 11th save of the season. So that was big for the Red Sox, and that was even bigger because the Oakland A's were looking to track down the Red Sox for that second wild card spot. They wind up losing to the Detroit Tigers by a count of 8-6. to six. James Caprillion has not been the same home to road. At home, this is a man that has been darn near unhittable with a 244 ERA. North of a 5 ERA on the road, he winds up giving up 4 runs in 4 innings, including a pair of homers, going deep for the Detroit Tigers. Miguel Cabrera, Mr. 502 now. He winds up getting his 15th home run season. And then Akil Badu winds up getting his 11th. Harold Castro will go deep a little bit later off of Yasmeto Petit for his second home run season as Petit goes to innings, gives up that solo home run. A.J. Puck winds up taking the loss, so he winds up giving up two runs, does not get a single out. Jake Diekman was able to give you a scoreless setting. And then Dalton Jeffries, who has actually been used a little bit of a starter this year, he winds up giving up a run in an inning for the Oakland A's. It was a Marte party in this one. They go 4 of 9 with men in scoring position, including Mr. Marte being able to get his 10th home run season. He was able to send that one off of Willie Peralta, who gives up three runs, two of which were earned over the course of four innings. Jose Yarenia tried to Yarenia all over this game, giving up three runs over the course of two innings, but the rest of the bullpen arms would not let him. Joey Menes, Jose Cicerno, Gregory Soto all give you a scoreless setting. So the Detroit Tigers able to get the job done out there. The Chicago Cubs were able to get the job done against the Minnesota Twins. 3-0 to zero the final. It was the career debut for Joe Ryan at the big league level. Wasn't great, wasn't terrible. He gives up three runs over the course of five innings, but he got no support whatsoever from the bats as the Minnesota Twins wind up going 0-3 with men in scoring position. Just two total hits in this one as Justin Seal goes five innings, gives up one hit, no earned runs. Ed Bear Alzale, he winds up going four innings, gives up no walks and one hit in the process. So some very good pitching, surprisingly, from the Chicago Cubs, and they were able to get a home run off the bat of Frank Schwindel, his eighth of the season for the Minnesota Twins. Bullpen actually looked good in this one. Danny Colombe, along with Juan Manaya, both give you a scoreless inning, and Ian Gabo was able to give you two scoreless, but not a lot doing for the Minnesota Twins in this one. Not a lot doing for the Kansas City Royals, as they wind up losing to the Cleveland Indians in 11 innings by a count of 5-3. to three. For the Cleveland Indians, they wind up getting a very solid start out of Logan Allen. Gives up three runs, two of which were earned over the course of six and a third innings. From there, Brian Shaw, one and third inning scoreless. Emmanuel Classe 
Blake Parker, and Trevor Steven, all able to give you a scoreless setting as well for the Cleveland Indians. Timely inning wasn't necessarily there for them. They wind up going 2 of 15 with men in scoring position, but Yu Chang was able to get a home run in the seventh inning to be able to force extras his seventh home run season. And for the Kansas City Royals, they really squandered what was a terrific start from Jackson Cower. Cower winds up going six innings. He did give up two runs, but both of which were honored. Certainly better than his first three efforts of the season as across three starts, he wound up having an ERA hovering right around eight before getting recalled to the majors for the start. From there, Jake Brents winds up giving up that home run to Yu Chang in two-thirds of an inning. Josh Shamon was able to give you one and a third scoreless. Scott Barlow, Domingo Tapia both give you a scoreless inning. And then Irvin Santana, the ancient one, he gives up two runs, one of which was earned out of the bullpen and for the Royals. 0 of 12 with men in scoring position. So these two teams want to combine 2 of 27 with men in scoring position. That is called not good, ladies and gentlemen. The Pittsburgh Pirates are also not good on offense. They're averaging right around 3.5 runs per game. That is the worst out there in the big leagues, and they couldn't get a lot going on Wednesday either. 6 to 3, they wind up losing to the White Sox. Max Karenic winds up giving up five runs in four and two thirds innings, including home run for the White Sox. Going deep off of him was Mr. Gavin Cheats. His seventh home run season, he would get his eighth a little bit later off of Dwayne Underwood Jr. As the White Sox are looking for a little bit of hitting because Tim Anderson is out on the injured list, but they were able to find it there as Underwood winds up giving up that solo home run over the course of his inning. You wind up having Shelby Miller give you a scoreless inning. He entered into this day with a 31.50 ERA. That lowered it to a 21. Good for Shelby. And then Anthony Banda, one and a third innings, scoreless for the Pittsburgh Pirates. The offense wound up coming from a little bit of an unlikely source. Anthony Alford winds up getting his second home run of the year. That was very good for the team, but by and large, the White Sox were able to get the job done as Carlos Rodon winds up giving up one run over the course of five innings. That home run was given up by Aaron Bummer. He gives up a run in an inning. You wind up having Ryan Tepera give up a run in a third of an inning, but Liam Hendricks gets a five-out save. He winds up giving up nothing in the process, and Rinaldo Lopez winds up giving you a scoreless inning as well. You wound up having a whole lot of scorelessness out there in L.A. as Garrett Cole was on his game for the New York Yankees. 4-1 to the final, and Garrett Cole has now won each out of his last seven starts against the L.A. Angels. This is a crazy set from ESPN Stats and Information Network as Mike Trout in that time span hitting a 375 off of him. All other Angels a buck 86, and in the time span of his last seven starts, he's got 75 strikeouts and nine walks, so he has certainly been dominating them as Cole winds up punching out 15 in this one over the course of seven innings. He does wind up giving up a run, but Jonathan Lewisga and Raulis Chapman able to close the door, scoreless eighth and ninth innings. And Aaron Judge was able to crank out his 30th home run of the season. For Judge, he has been able to do a solid job. I believe he now has three home runs over the course of his last six games, so he's been able to get it done there. And if you look ever since the beginning of the month of August, this is a guy that is hitting in the neighborhood of about a 350. So he certainly has been solid. He winds up cranking that home run off of Steve Ciszek as Becky Naughton did not necessarily give the start that the Angels were looking for. Three and two-thirds innings. He winds up giving up three runs, all of which were earned from there. Andrew Wants was able to give you a scoreless inning. He winds up getting two scoreless out of Jake Patrika and Jose Quijada. One and a third inning scoreless, but for the Angels, 0 of 6 with men in scoring position. After they were averaging 6.4 runs per game in their last seven games, nothing doing here. Nothing doing for the Houston Astros as the Seattle Mariners, who somehow, someway, are still relevant in the wild card race as they are now three and a half games back of the Boston Red Sox. They get a 1-0 win, and this is a Seattle Mariners team that they have been absolutely superb in one-run games all season long. They wind up getting another one as they are now 28-16 in one-run games so far this year. That is the most 
wins in one-run games in all of baseball. I don't think that any other team has more than 25 at this point. As for the Houston Astros, Jake Odorizzi didn't give a bad start. He's a little bit of a tough luck loser, in my opinion. Only went five innings, but gives up one run in the process, punches out seven. From there, Phil Maton, Ryan Sanic both give you a scoreless setting. Amy Garcia, Blake Taylor, they combine for a scoreless setting, but for the Astros, they go 0-5 with men in scoring position as they get nine hits and no runs in this one as Logan Gilbert wound up dodging a couple bullets. He gives up Four hits, but no runs over the course of his five innings. You then have Justice Sheffield, Casey Sadler, both give you scoreless innings, and Drew Steckenrider and Paul Sewell combined for two scoreless innings as they gave up four hits in the process. So the Astros had their opportunities, and they were unable to come through as it was Abraham Toro, the former Astro, that wound up having the RBI in this one. The Colorado Rockies were able to take to the Texas Rangers late 9-5 to the final as this was the first start for Koji Ihara ever since the early part of May. Did not wind up going long in this one. Gave up one solo run over the course of three and the third innings, taking him deep. Brendan Rodgers is 11th home run season, so that meant that it was up to the Texas Rangers bullpen. You typically don't want that. Now, Nick Snyder, Jarrell Cotton, and Josh Shorbich all give you scoreless things. Joe Barlow, though, who wound up entering into this game with about a 1 ERA, gives up 5 runs, but only 2 of which were earned over the course of 2 thirds of an inning. There was 3 errors by Nate Lau in this game, and an error by Charlie Galverson that really hurt him. Hunjun Young wound up having to come in, get the final out of the game. Wes Benjamin winds up giving up 2 runs in an inning, and DeMarcus Evans gives up a run in two-thirds of an inning. And for the Texas Rangers, they actually did wind up going 4-9 with men in scoring position. This was a good series for them because entering into the series, they were averaging about 2.7 runs per game ever since the All-Star break, so they were able to up that a little bit as Kyle Freeland wound up going one inning and he gave up one run. This was not necessarily what they had in mind. Good news is Freeland has now given up three runs or fewer and now 12 out of his last 13 starts. He would have liked a little bit more length here. Justin Lawrence, he did not do his part giving up three runs in a third of an inning, but Ben Bowden one and two-thirds innings gives up a run and then Robert Stevenson two scoreless innings Ulysse Jacin two scoreless innings Daniel Barta scoreless inning and Carlos Estevez winds up giving you a scoreless inning in what was a very harebrained game the San Diego Padres lost the Arizona Diamondbacks and that is not good eight to three the final the Padres are now finding themselves in very murky waters when it comes to the wild card they are a half a game back of the Cincinnati Reds who wound up splitting a pair with the St. Louis Cardinals we'll get to that in a second but for the Padres in this one Trent Grisham, 14th home run season that comes off of Luke Weaver making his first start since dinosaurs roam the earth, and Will Myers winds up getting his 16th home run. For Weaver, he winds up giving up just that solo home run over the course of six innings, and this was his first start since May 16th, so it had been a while for him. Other home run was given up by Noe Ramirez. He gives up two runs in an inning, but this game was relatively in hand at that point, and J.B. Wendelkin and Tyler Clippert wind up giving his scoreless 8th and ninth innings. Josh Van Meter winds up going deep off of you, Darvish, who Oh boy, he's having a rough go of it. He winds up getting his fifth home run season. Arizona Diamondbacks go 4 of 13 with Ben in scoring position and for Darvish. He gives up six runs, five of which were earned, and he went two and two-thirds innings. You Darvish. Good grief. He has now given up at least four runs and now five out of his last six starts. I mean, this is a cataclysmically bad run. This is someone that, if you take a look at his numbers... Going into the month of July, he had a 2.44 ERA. In the month of July, he posted a 7.36 ERA in August of 6.32. Now he's starting out this month with north of a 9 ERA. Gosh, it has really won sour from him. Nabel Krismet from there winds up giving you one and a third inning scoreless, and bullpen did their part once again. Denelson Lamette 
in his first appearance in quite a while. He winds up giving a score saying, got to figure that he's going to be a reliever moving forward for this team. Ryan Weathers, who I think was supposed to start, I think on Saturday, might be on Friday, a scoreless setting. Danny Johnson, a scoreless setting. Tim Hill, a scoreless setting. And Austin Adams gives up two runs without recording it out, but... I don't know how the Padres acquire enough pitching to be able to get through the rest of the season because, man, it has taken a lot out of them. And this is going to take a lot out of you if you're an average team as the St. Louis Cardinals and the Cincinnati Reds wind up playing a pair. The St. Louis Cardinals somehow, someway, by the way, they are hanging in this wild card race. We're going to be talking about that a little bit later with Jeff Parles. They win game one by a count of 5-4. to four. For the Cardinals, they wind up getting a pair of home runs out of Paul Goldschmidt, who all of a sudden has become the hottest hitter on the face of planet Earth. His 23rd and 24th home runs of the season. He's hitting right around at 350 since the beginning of the month of July, and it is spectacular to see. Miles Michaelis gives up four runs in three innings, but the Cardinals bullpen able to do their part. Genesis Cabrera, who wound up entering into this one ever since the beginning of the month of July, having an ERA north of six, gives you two scoreless settings. Luis Garcia, Giovanni Gallegos, both give you a scoreless setting. And for the Cincinnati Reds, Wade Miley was not having a party in the USA. As a matter of fact, he gave up 12 hits in four innings. I was allowed to give up 12 hits in four innings. I have no idea, but he gave up not one, not two, but three bombs. He gives up both of those with Paul Goldschmidt. Also gives one up to Harrison Bader, his 10th of the season. Then from there, Lucas Sims, Tony Santian, Luis Sessa. I'll give you a scoreless setting. And for the Cincinnati Reds, they go 3 of 11 with Ben in scoring position. And then in game two, they would get their revenge. 12 to 2, they wind up absolutely taking it to the St. Louis Cardinals as the Cardinals tried out J.F. and he looked more like the J.F. that we were seeing with the Minnesota Twins. Going into game two of this double dip, he had right around a two ERA with the Cardinals. Gives up seven runs in an inning, including two home runs. There is a guy that we know and love as going deep for the Cincinnati Reds. Nick Cassianos, twice off of him. His 25th and 26th home runs of the season. And then a little bit later, and Eugenio Suarez would get his 24th home run season. And Kyle Farmer would go deep off of Junior Fernandez for his 13th home run season. For Fernandez, he gives up that home run, giving up two runs in total in a third of an inning. Daniel Ponce Leon, one and a third innings. He gives up two runs in the process. Cody Whitley got four outs and didn't give up a single run, so that was good. And then Brandon Dickinson winds up giving up that home run to Eugenio Suarez going and ending giving up a run. And then Alex Reyes in about the lowest leverage spot you could ever find. A scoreless inning as for the St. Louis Cardinals, they did get a pair of home runs in this one. Tommy Edmond is 10th of the season and then Nolan Arenado is 27th. Those both come off of Sonny Gray as Gray gives up those two solo home runs over the course of five innings and then Jeff Hoffman and Amir Garrett close the door scoreless 6th and 7th innings, so the wild card race is getting very fascinating out there in the National League. What else is fascinating is whether or not the Toronto Blue Jays are going to be able to get back into their own wild card race as they take down the Blue Jays, but he took the run line, they did not wind up covering that. 5-4 to four the final, I had the under in the New York Post said it was a hairy one, but it wound up big as the Toronto Blue Jays wound up having a little bit of a deep ball in this one off the bat of Marcus Simeon, his 33rd of the season. That comes off of the Dark Knight Matt Harvey, who gives up 4 runs in four innings, and then the Orioles' bullpen actually wasn't bad in this one. Connor Green, one in a third inning scoreless. Tanner Scott gives you an ending out of the bullpen. Ore Lopez gives you a pair of outs out of the bullpen. Dylan Tate gives up a run in an inning, but Marco Ziplain gives you a pair of outs, and for the Blue Jays, they go just one of seven men in scoring position. Not necessarily the world's greatest start from Steven Matz, but gave up two runs over the course of five innings. Taylor Sacito gives up a run in an inning, save for Joaquin Soria, but Tim Massa, along with Jordan Romano, both come up with scoreless innings as they're able to get the job done, and for the Orioles, they have now scored four runs or fewer in 18 out of their last 22 games. The LA Dodgers are now 16-3 and in their last 19 games, but just 7-12 and on the run line in this time span as 
They pull off another one-run win on Wednesday, being able to get a 4-3 W over the Atlanta Braves. For the Braves, they were able to get a pair of home runs in this one as Dansby Swanson was able to go deep. He also wound up having a home run in this one off the bat of Eddie Rosario. For Rosario's eighth of the season, that winds up coming off of Mr. Bruce Suter-Gradrell. And for Swanson, he goes deep off of Alex Vesia as it was a very good start for Max Scherzer. Six scoreless innings was pulled after just 76 pitches and... That might have been a mistake for the Dodgers, especially if you, like me, had the run line as Gradrall gives up that home run, giving up two runs in total over the course of an inning. Vesia got two outs, but wound up giving up that home run. Phil Bickford closed things out in the eighth inning, and Joe Kelly got his second save of the season in the ninth inning. For the Dodgers, they wanted getting a pair of home runs of their own off of Max Freed. Max Muncie, 30th home run season, and then you wind up getting Austin Barnes' his sixth. For Freed, he winds up giving up both of those homers, both solo home runs over the course of six innings. So he was solid. Richard Rodriguez gives you a pair of outs out of the bullpen, and Tyler Madzik gives up a run in an inning after he wound up having a sub one ERA in the months of July and August. And then Chris Martin winds up giving up a run in a third of an inning that wound up costing the Braves this one and. The Giants have now lost a trio of games to the Milwaukee Brewers as Milwaukee gets the job done by a count of 5-2. William Thomas was back in the fold. He wound up having an RBI extra base knock in the ninth inning. And for the Brewers, it was a wholesale approach. Brett Anderson goes two scoreless innings. Hunter Strickland, two scoreless innings. The lone runs in this game were given up by Mr. Justin Tapa, who winds up giving up two runs over the course of an inning. Daniel Norris, a scoreless inning. Brad Boxberger, a scoreless inning. Jake Cousins, a scoreless inning. And Josh Hader, 29th save of the season with a scoreless inning. And John Breba winds up serving one up to Lorenzo Cain for his seventh home run of the season as Breba came in in the ninth inning and he could not hold it down, giving up that home run, two runs in total one of which was earned in his inning. And for Kevin Gosman, not great, not terrible. You'd like a little bit more length. He went just five innings, gave up two runs from there. Tony Watson, along Tyler Rogers, were both able to give you a scroll to the setting. Dominique Leon winds up coming in for two-thirds of an inning, giving up a run, and Jose Alvarez got the other out. But for the Giants, big thing in this one, two of 14 with men in scoring position and no home runs for a team that has been leading the National League with regards to home runs. And you know what's right now leading the way if you are making money in your bankroll? Most likely unders. As overall for the year, we have seen unders take a lead over overs by a count of 957 unders to 935 overs. So about 50.6% of games this season have went under the total. Favorites Overall this season, 1,175 and 792. So they're earning at a rate of about 59.7%. Home teams stay steady at 54.5%, 1,082 and 903. But if you're looking just over the last seven days, it has been home teams that have been struggling a little bit. 45 and 48 with that regard. Meanwhile, favorites, they're earning a little bit over 60% in this time span. 55 and 36. Meanwhile, unders continue to crush it. 51 unders, 38 overs. That is a 57.3% rate. These via covers.com. And in the last 30 days, unders hitting at about 53.7%. 204 unders, 176 overs. And in that time span, favorites, 257 at 141. So that's about 64.6% in home teams in that time span. 210 and 192. So that's what we're all seeing trend-wise in Major League Baseball, and that's what we wound up seeing on Wednesday. Now let's turn the page forward to Thursday. Let's take a look at these postseason races, and let's take a look at the betting board for Thursday with our good buddy Jeff Parles of the Vegas Hats and Information Network. That chat is on the other side right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast with myself, Greg Peterson. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. Come back your lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Great to be joined by our guests as 
This man does a terrific job over there at the Vegas Sets and Information Network as he is now once again the producer for Gil Alexander on a numbers game and you're able to catch him hosting on weekends over there at the Vegas Sets and Information Network as it is Jeff Parles who is joining me on the podcast. Me and him have done a lot of work together the last few months and it is always great to get him aboard and to be able to follow Jeff on Twitter. That is that his name, Jeff Parles, and that is Jeff with a J, not a G-E. And Jeff, great to have you aboard. Thank you. As always, Hoops, it's a pleasure to be with you, buddy. It is great to be on with you, and it is great if you're a St. Louis Cardinals fan because I was tweeting this out yesterday and that the St. Louis Cardinals are the ultimate baseball roach and that every time you think that they are dead from the postseason, they just somehow, someway, find a way to be able to get themselves back. We're recording this just before game two of their double dip against the Cincinnati Reds, and they're two games out of the wild card at this point, and I don't know about you, but I thought that this team was dead and buried when they wound up acquiring JF and John Lester at the trade deadline as their marquee moves, and yet here they are somehow, someway, after having massive offensive struggles in the month of June and July with a shot to be able to make the postseason. What do you make out of this team? Because I know that going into the year, you were a little bit high on them. You, much like me, wound up souring on them. And now here they are right back in the race. Yeah, I loved them before the year. I thought they were going to run away with the NL Central, win the division relatively easily. Obviously, Milwaukee is going to be the team that has already run away and hid with the division. They're going to win the Central. Here's the problem for the Cardinals. The next seven games, good week for them in Cincinnati. Good week for them. They did what they needed to do. They got two out of three. Job well done by the Cardinals there, who are obviously are trying to catch both San Diego and the Reds in that wild card race. Here's the problem, though. The next seven games are really difficult. They go to Milwaukee for three, who has really had their way with the Giants, who finally the Giants seem to have run out of steam, even though, again, you could honestly blame a few COVID positive cases for their issues this week. And then after that, the Cardinals get the Dodgers for four games. Yeah, those games are in St. Louis. But those are going to be difficult games because the Dodgers are playing in a different stratosphere right now than basically everyone else. So I would not be shocked, Greg. I saw this with other teams that were competing. They get hot. They get back in the race. They completely fall off the map when the competition gets better. We're starting to see it a little bit with Atlanta with letting the Phillies and borderline Mets back into the race in the NL East. We saw with the Padres, who really struggled with bad teams, allowing everyone to catch them and get back in the wild card race. The Reds are starting to regress because they couldn't beat the Marlins over the weekend. So all in all, Greg, look, when you have mediocre teams in the race, you're going to see things that you expect from mediocre teams. And the Cardinals are just another one of those mediocre to average teams who is alive because no one else in that second wild card race wants to grab the, grab the second wild card and actually hold on to it. We thought the Padres are going to be that the whole year. But they ended up not being that because they mutilated their bullpen. Their starting pitching hasn't held held up. And when you have a mutilated bullpen like they do, you're going to have problems. And their schedule is really difficult. In the end, I don't think the Cardinals get there. I still think Cincinnati wins the second wild card because they have a really easy schedule. And quite frankly, Greg, if you're looking at a team behind Cincinnati to catch them, I'd actually look at the Phillies because of how easy their schedule is. The problem with betting the Phillies to win a second wild card because I wouldn't be shocked if they catch a line in the NL East. So it's really craziness for that second wild card as a whole and the NL East race. And look, the Cardinals are squarely in the former of that, the second wild card. And the problem with the Phillies as well is that this team has absolutely no idea how to win on the road. As This is a bunch of which they are 29 and 36 on the road, 39 and 28 at home, which is a very demonstrative split. As it's a good we do home object- record. 
Yep, very good home record, not so good road record, as we do have Jeff Parles of the Vegas Ads and Information Network joining me on the podcast, and we are mentioning the wild card race as of right now, and the two teams are fighting for that second wild card spot in the American League. Both are going to be on the diamond on Thursday, as you've got the Oakland A's hitting the road face off against the Detroit Tigers, with Sean Manea going up against Matt Duncan and Peyton Manning, and then you have the Boston Red Sox with Eduardo Rodriguez going up against Shane McClanahan of the Rays, and... For the Red Sox, COVID-19 is hitting them at the absolute wrong time. Here comes the Saramura, one of their best relievers. He is currently out with COVID. Xander Bogarts wound up having to leave, leave literally mid-game due to COVID-19. So now they've got John Schreiber in the bullpen. They're probably going to be looking to someone like a Denny Santana to give them a little bit of depth on the infield along Travis Shaw. We were sitting below the Mendoza line for the Milwaukee Brewers. And my goodness, this is a Red Sox team in which the bullpen was failing them to start with. Now I really have my questions as to whether or not this team is going to be able to make the postseason because they need these guys back in order to be able to make a run. Well, you didn't even mention, Greg, Matt Barnes is on the COVID IL also, who is an all-star closer. This yep. Year. So, Greg, as much as we want to be done with COVID as a whole here, we're all tired of having to deal with everything, but... Look, the simplest way, and we have seen, even with teams that have high vaccination rates, Greg, we have seen some sneak-through cases. We've seen it with the Yankees. But it has not been on this scale that has happened to the Red Sox. This is a team that was the best team in the American League for almost half of the entire season. And even before this COVID outbreak that, again, you lose your all-star shortstop, you lose your all-star reliever, you lose arguably your second best reliever in Salamara, you're playing in a division, and this is the problem for the Red Sox. Even though, again, them and Oakland, I think, are going to go down to the wire. I'm busy. Can't beat the Rays. No one can beat the Rays right now. After owning the Yankees the first half of this year, they looked terrible against the Yankees the last time they played them. So, look, for Boston, I just don't buy them. I didn't buy them from the beginning of the year. They've already exceeded my expectations in a big way. But I think they'll be on the outside looking, and I think they're going to be team number six in the American League when this is done. Oakland gets the second wild card and sets up a very intriguing game against the Yankees. And you know what? Even if it's the Red Sox, if the Red Sox find a way, regardless of who the opponent is for the Yankees, who, Greg, I think it's pretty safe to say the Yankees are getting the wild card because the Yankees have played basically 750 ball the last three weeks and have lost the game on Tampa because Tampa's just outrageously good. For Boston, you hope everyone gets healthy. You hope after the 10 days they can get back on the field and have a chance to win some games. But in the end, I think the Red Sox are going to come up just short, and it wouldn't shock me if this stretch where they're missing all these guys and they have a little bit of losing streak, they're going to fall out because of it. Yeah, I agree with you, and I also didn't mention that. Kike Hernandez, also yeah, out for the Boston Red Sox. So, yeah. yeah, they're dealing with a lot, and you mentioned the Tampa Bay Rays. If I'm taking a look at the American League right now, they'd be the team that I'd be putting my money on to be able to make the World Series. I love the way that this team has come together. And as I mentioned with the Red Sox losing pieces, they are gaining pieces as the days go along. Pete Fairbanks, J.P. Fireisen just wound up coming off the injured list over the last seven days. I know that they've been dealing with a little bit of ailments to Nelson Cruz, who has been in and out of the fold a little bit since he wound up getting to the Rays. But he's been able to come back. He's been able to give this team a whole lot of something. And... I just take a look at this Rays team in general with having four different guys with north of 20 home runs with just the way that they're able to use all these bullpen pieces. I think that they're the best team in the American League right now. I don't know how you can argue otherwise, Craig. I really don't because there's something with the Astros that is just missing. I can't pinpoint it, Greg. I think they're really good, but I don't think they're anywhere near as good as Tampa is or really the White Sox 
But the White Sox, Tim Anderson just went on the IL. You're looking at the White Sox, who, again, are a team that doesn't have much playoff experience as a whole. Obviously, the manager has more playoff experience than basically everyone because he's been on the planet for almost a century at this <laughs> point. But I don't know how you look at the American League and don't think at this point, all right, the Rays and the Yankees are 1-2. That's what it is. The Yankees lineup is really good. And if John Carlos is going to hit like he's hit the last three weeks, the Yankees are a absolute hard out for Tampa, even with how well the Rays have played the Yankees over the last few years. But, Greg, it's not like home field advantage is a big thing in the trop. And that is something that I do think concerns me in the playoffs for Tampa is not having a real home field advantage where basically everyone else in baseball that will be around in the postseason this year will have a home field advantage because fans are left back. So, look, Tampa, if you're just going off a best individual team, I wouldn't only bet them to win the AL. I bet them to win the World Series right now. But this isn't a bubble season like it was a year ago where, all right, no one has fans. So we can actually look at the team that actually is the best in this league. And lo and behold, Greg, we got the two best teams in the World Series last year. And I think the bubble environments played a big role in getting us that Atlanta, L.A., NLCS, and that Tampa appearance in the World Series and L.A.'s eventual championship. So, look, I think the Rays are the best team. I do have some other concerns. The numbers are starting to get a little too short for my liking. But I really do think it comes down to the winner of the Rays and the Yankees in the division series. The winner of that series is going to the World Series, and they probably will be the team that ends up with the commissioner's trophy because the NL teams, as good as I think the Dodgers and the Brewers are, I don't think the Dodgers are going back-to-back. They have not been healthy as a whole at once this year, and they're not as healthy as a whole in the World Series against Tampa. I don't think they can get away with it like they did last year. And the Brewers, again, another team that has some playoff experience but doesn't have deep playoff experience except for that one appearance in the NLCS three years ago. So I would look to the winner of the Rays and the Yankees, Greg. That would be the team that I would bet to win the American League and a team that I would bet to win the World Series. You're going to probably have to bet those numbers now because once that series is over – Whoever wins that series is going to be a pretty sizable favorite in the ALCS. Now, I do think that there is some sneaky value on the Milwaukee Brewers to win the World Series, as we do have yeah. Jeff Parles joining me on the podcast. And that's just because of the frontline pitching. Now, Freddie Peralta, currently on the 10-day injured list, but looks like he's going to be all good to go for the postseason. But if you're able to pair him up with Corbin Burns along with Brandon Woodruff, I think that this is a three-headed monster that's able to carry you. And then you just take a look at the bullpen, which is a reason why we always love the Tampa Bay Rays. And the Brewers are able to match up with that. Devin Williams, Josh Jader, that eighth and ninth inning duo is lethal. And nobody's talking about Jay Cousins right now. Wound up entering into Wednesday with a 0.78 ERA. He has been nothing short of terrific for the team. Brad Boxberger, under Strickland. These guys are playing the way that they did at their peak right now. So they have been very good contributors for the Brewers now. You do have a couple guys that have been out due to injury, like William Adamas along with Eduardo Escobar. But if you're able to get even just a little bit of offense with that three-headed monster for the Brewers, and especially with rotations typically shortening to four in the postseason, that gives you a shot in any series. Well, look, Greg, you can't understate the Adamas thing there. Because, Greg, is it fair to say William Adamas has been their best hitter since coming over from Tampa? I oh, absolutely. That offense went from a bottom feeder that was living on elite pitching to well, our offense can win us some games. That's basically what happened once Adamas went from Tampa to Milwaukee. And look, sometimes guys who lead the trap end up being really good hitters because it's just hard to pick up the ball there. And look, I agree with you. I think the Brewers are coming out of the National League. Look, as good as 
The Dodgers one two is, but Bueller and Scherzer, and look, we don't know what Kershaw's gonna look like when he comes back from injury. There's no way Bowers pitching again this year if he ever pitches again in Major League Baseball. The one, two, three for the Brewers, assuming Peralta is healthy. Guess what? As good as Julio Urias is, the Brewers one, two, three is better with Burns, Woodruff, and Peralta. Peralta's a better pitcher than Urias is, and that's no slight of Urias. That's just how good Peralta is. And Greg, you mentioned it, you rattled off whole bunch of names for middle relievers who have pitched great. And, and look, Josh Hader is still the best closer in baseball. So look, the Brewers absolutely, even at a shorter number than they've been, absolutely still have a whole bunch of value to win the NL and to win the World Series. Look, if you made me bet something right now for like exactness, I'm sure Fox would not be pleased. But a Tampa-Milwaukee World Series is 100% in play. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that there's going to be a whole lot of intrigue when it comes to this Milwaukee Brewers team moving forward and just the postseason picture in general, as we do have Jeff Par- as we do have Jeff Parle joining me on the podcast. And Jeff, when you take a look at the betting board for Thursday, because we've mentioned quite a few of the teams that are going to be in action. You've got the Brewers against the San Francisco Giants. You've got something like the A's versus the Detroit Tigers going on. It's a small slate, but in my opinion, it's a relatively solid one. Is there any game in particular that you're honing in on, whether it be from a futures perspective or a game that you're just going to be just straight up betting in general? Yeah, let's see how the betting goes on the A's and the Tigers game. Because Tuesday, I know we aren't the biggest Cole Irvin guys on this podcast, Greg, but Cole Irvin and the A's were only minus 112 in Detroit the other night. That was a slap in the face. It was pretty short. Very short, and it was easy. Cabrillion against Peralta, I think it actually kind of has gone the other way, where the Tigers are a little bit undervalued on the Wednesday night slate because Cabrillion's been really good, but Peralta's been solid as well. I'm interested to see how this final game of the series moves. Again, Greg, we've talked about it. The Tigers are much better than I think anyone would have expected. They're not good, but they are far from the bad team that we thought they were going to be. They're pretty clearly the third team in the AL Central this year. So I'm curious to see how that moves. Greg, you put the spreadsheet out on Twitter every single day. This is one of those where if I see Oakland in the minus 150 range, then I think I have to bite. But if I see Detroit get over plus 150, plus 155, plus 160, then you look to bet Detroit. Again, this is one of those where figure out your numbers, figure out your buying point. This is one of those games where I actually could see betting both sides, which is always a fun time when we get the one like those, Greg. Yeah, it is always fun to be able to get some of those, and I'm right there with you. This has been a little bit of a strange series between the Oakland A's and the Detroit Tigers. Tigers playing much better baseball, but certainly has been a little bit of an intriguing spot. A man that does well at home, a man that does well whenever he's at a various casino, because this man has done a little bit of everything over there, Visa, in the last few months. That'd be you, Jeff. You do an absolutely terrific job with a little bit of everything. I know that you're all geared up for football season. You've been giving out your futures bets, your plays on the Vegas Edson Information Network all summer long. Now it's finally coming to a head. You've been doing a great job day in and day out looking at the baseball betting board and so much more. So let the good people at home know they're able to follow you on social media and just everything that you've got going on in general. Yeah, Jeff Parles on the tweets. I don't know. Gil's calling me producer number eight. I'm really producer number five, just back in the role mm-hmm. with the numbers game. I tend to noon Eastern time Monday to Friday and You'll still see me on the desk on Saturday. Can't announce the time yet, but that can be announced sooner rather than later. But you will see me and Greg on Saturday from 6 to 9 Eastern time on VEASAN's Bet Center this Saturday if you want to check us out. Yes, sir. As we know in the media business, 
everything revolves around foosball season. So there's changes the next week or two that are coming up at VSIM. But all for the better, we just revealed the one that is going to be happening with Jeffrey joining a numbers game. I'm going to be doing some stuff over there as well that I'll be announcing in coming days as well. So we've got a lot coming down the chute there. And what's always coming down the chute, great information from Jeff. So a big thanks to him for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you sign total on every game on the betting board for this Thursday. And a little something like to call, touch them all. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Always a pleasure to be joined by Jeff Parles of the Vegas Ads and Information Network. Doing great work over there. Lots of moving parts around there. And I'll be having some announcements within the next few days as well. So be on the lookout for that. And... Be on the lookout for a sign total on every game on the betting board for today as we get into that in a little something like call, touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarenScore1. Going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the National League games first, then the American League games, and then any interleague games that are going to be at the bottom. That is typically the way it goes, but my last game is actually going to be the Phillies versus Nationals game that wound up getting rained out yesterday, so they had it added to the board, so that is actually going to be the last game, but we do start with that first National League game. 901-902 on the betting board. The Milwaukee Brewers at third face-off against the San Francisco Giants. Logan Webb is going to be going for the Yantes. Meanwhile, Eric Lauer is going to be on the bump for the Brew Crew. Brewers are finding themselves between plus 135 and plus 140 underdogs. Meanwhile, with the Giants, it's anywhere between minus 150 and minus 155. Eight is your total. Over is anywhere between minus 10 and minus 115. Under is between minus 110 and minus 105. Logan Webb has been flat out dealing. The team is 12 and 1 in his last 13 starts, and he has allowed two runs or fewer in every one of those starts. So you've got to give it up to him for being absolutely masterful recently. Then you take a look at the Milwaukee Brewers and. This is a team that they're a little bit shorthanded when it comes to the lineup, but William Thomas did wind up returning to the fold yesterday. Ever since coming over to the Milwaukee Brewers, has been hitting right around 290. It's really been the focal point of this offense as we were talking about with Jeff, and then got quite a few guys in between. I would say about a 272, 285. You've got Aviciel Garcia. Jace Peterson has actually been able to do a good job for this bunch. And then you've got Omir Nervias as well. Rowdy Tellez that's coming over to the Brewers is hitting right around 275. But then you take a look at the San Francisco Giants and you've got all these guys with between, I would say, 13 and a little bit over 20 home runs. You've got two guys that are north of 20 bombs so far this year. Mike Ustromski along with Chris Bryant. And then from there, all these guys between 13 and 20. The Brandons of Brandon Belt and Brandon Crawford, Wilmer Flores, Austin Dickerson, Darren Ruff, Buster Posey, Lamonte Wade, Wilmer Flores. Now, they're dealing with Evan Longoria being once again on the injured list along Donovan Solano, but they've been able to do a great job of being able to have so many guys be able to step up for them, and the bullpen has been very good as well. Caleb Barger, it looks like he's coming back, and he has a 0.49 ERA so far this year. Dominique Leon, Zach Liddell, 
These guys have been solid. Tyler Rogers has been able to give you some good innings as well. Jake McGee is a little bit shaky, but by and large, he's been able to give you some good innings. And then for the Brewers, I was talking about with Jeff. All these guys that you're able to have coming out of their pen. Josh Hader, Devin Williams, you're able to throw in their Brian Boxberger, Jake Cousins. list goes on and on, so I do like what you're getting there. And then with Eric Lauer, he actually has been able to do a very solid job with the Milwaukee Brewers recently. Certainly not a frontline starter by any means for the team, but he's given up right around 1.3 home runs per nine innings. That doesn't necessarily tell the full story. You take a look at what he wound up doing in the months of July and August. Posted right around a 260 ERA. He's been able to do a very good job of lessening the deep ball as well. Over the course of his last seven starts across about 38 and a third innings, he's given up just two home runs, so he's been able to do a great job there. His strikeouts per nine rate in that time span right around eight, so I do think that you're going to get a very good pitching matchup, but with the way that Logan Webb is rolling, backed up by that bullpen, going to be taking a look at the Giants in this spot. Wound up setting them minus 158 on the money line. If you're taking a look at the run line, Getting that anywhere between a plus 130 and a plus 133. I was willing to take anything above a plus 125, so I'm going to take the Giants on the run line. Did wind up saying this whole 8.1 because both of these teams, especially the Giants with the way that they're leading the National League in homers, they do have a lot of firepower, so going over along that Giants run line. 903-904 on the betting board. The Miami Marlins hit the road to face off against the New York Mets. Carlos Carrasco is going to be going for the Mets. Right now, the betting board says to be determined for the Miami Marlins. Zach Thompson was supposed to pitch on Wednesday. It looks like he's probably going to be getting the start in this one. So I've got numbers as if it is going to be Thompson against Carrasco. And DraftKings does have a line on this. Mets are at minus 180, plus 155 on the Fish. 7.5 is your total. Over is minus 115, and the under is minus 105. And if you're taking a look at what you had when the game wound up going off the board yesterday, very similar numbers to this. And in this spot, I would be taking a look at the Miami Marlins as long as I'm getting north of a plus 160. A lot of places when they took it off the board had it more like a plus 165. So certainly going to be taking a look there. And for Carlos Carrasco, he has looked a little bit better in his most recent starts. In his last two starts against the San Francisco Giants and the LA Dodgers, has went a combined 12 innings, giving up five runs compared to what he wanted doing at the front end of the season as in his first four starts, a 10-32 ERA. So that was certainly lacking. Now, the walks have actually been very good with him. He's only given up four walks across 23 in the third innings, but he has given up some hard contact as overall for the year. Six home runs surrendered, and this is a guy in Zach Thompson that he's not quite as good on the road as he is at home. You're going to find that with so many Miami Marlins pitchers just because Miami is so pitcher-friendly, but 381 ERA on the road. In six starts, has given up three home runs in 26 innings, and opponents are a buck 98 off of him, so that's relatively reliable. Then you take a look at this Miami Marlins lineup, and AC Zagier is right now the man that is mashing for this team. 92 RBI, right around a 265 batting average and 22 home runs, so that has been solid, especially when you consider that you've only got one other guy in the active roster that has been able to give you more than 10 home runs so far this year. That'd be Jazz Shizzle, man. Really, he's the only guy with more than seven home runs. Says you got a lot of guys that aren't necessarily supplying a lot of power, but you do have Miguel Roas, who's hitting right around a 265-ish for this team. Got a lot of guys that hit, I would say, between about a 240 to a 250. Asus Sanchez, Mangolia Sierra, Ore Alfaro. You're able to throw in there Lewis Brinson and Brian Anderson as well. Then you take a look at the New York Mets, and it's been a little bit of a slog for them on offense. Uh, you do have a pair of guys that will be able to pound out at least 25 home runs in Javi Bias along with Pete Alonso. So that has been solid now for Bias. Certainly has been ups and downs for him ever since he wound up joining the New York Mets, only hitting about a 227. But Francisco Lindor has been worse. He's hitting at 221. So it's been a little bit of an issue. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of Brandon Nimmo and JD Davis, both of these guys hitting in the pocket of about a 295. 
Got a lot of guys here. I would say about a 240-ish to about a 260-ish. You've got Jeff McNeil, Johnson VR, but been dealing with some injuries at the catcher spot. So James McCann has been hitting in that pocket. He's been in and out of the fold. Dom Smith hitting at 245 as well. Now the main concept for this Mets team has been the bullpen. The bullpen of the Mets has really been able to deliver with Aaron Loop leading the way. He's got right around a one-ish ERA. Jersich Familia has seen things dry up on him the second half of the season, but you've got Seth Lugo who wound up pitching his best in the month of August. He wound up having an ERA in the month of August of a buck 54. So that's a very good sign for the Miami Marlins. They're in the top 10 when it comes to bullpen ERA as well. Anthony Bender has been able to give you some good innings. Richard Blyer is someone that was giving up a little bit of hard contact at the beginning of the year. He's been able to rein it in. Stephen O'Kurt has right around a 2 ERA. So I do like what I'm getting here out of the Miami Marlins. If we wind up getting similar lines to what we wound up seeing before, going to be taking a shot on the Miami Marlins. And the 7.5 is just too low in my opinion. Wound up saying it's still 8.3. So looking at the fish and looking at the over. 905-906 on the betting board. The Chicago Cubs are going to be playing us to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Mitch Thunder Keller is going to be going for the Buckos. Meanwhile, Keegan Thompson is going to be on the bump for the Cubs as we currently have no lineup on this game because... I think that we had a couple small switcheroos, but I've got a line on this game. Want to make the Cubs a minus 142 favorite. If you're looking at the minus run and a half run line, I'm going to be saying that at plus 133. Looks like the wind is going to be blowing out to left field a little bit. Not necessarily going to be blowing out or in, so it's going to be more directional. So that's not going to impact this total too much as I've got this at an 8.6. In that lower, going to be taking a look at the over 9 or higher. Going to be taking a look at the under end. For Mitch Keller, he has been pitching a little bit better recently as this is someone that towards the beginning of the year was giving up north of 7 walks per 9 innings. Has been able to rein it in a little bit more recently, but still is someone that has a 6.75 ERA so far this year. You take a look at his last start against the St. Louis Cardinals. Gave up 7 runs in 5 and a third innings and has given up 4 plus in now 3 out of his last 5. He's actually done a little bit better and actually a lot bit better on the road than he has at home. Home ERA of an 831, 440 on the road. On the road, opponents running a 273 off of them, which is not good. But at home, that is a 341, though. We'll say he's given up five home runs in 28 and two-thirds innings on the road. Meanwhile, you take a look at Keegan Thompson, and he's been mostly used out of the bullpen. He has went four innings or fewer in every one of his appearances so far this year. So can't expect a lot of length, but he has done a good job at Wrigley Field. Buck 44 ERA, 12 total appearances, so he has only won a combined 25 innings at home, but has given up two home runs in that time span. 217 is what opponents are hanging off of him, and they haven't been able to get their lineup going. You've got a pair of guys at the top there doing a terrific job in Rafael Ortega, along with Frank Schwindel, both hitting above a 290. Patrick Wisdom, along with Matt Duffy, have been able to both hit between about a 252 to 260. And for Patrick Wisdom, he's getting a home run every 10.5 at-bats. It has been absolutely amazing to watch him work as in the month of August, he wound up being able to go deep nine times. He has been incredible for this Cubs team. But then you take a look at some of these guys. Andrew and Austin Romine, Sergio Contra, Jason Award, Ian App. These guys are only at 2.15 or lower. Then you take a look at the flip side for the Pittsburgh Pirates, and it's all been about Brian Reynolds. Hitting at 321 home runs, he certainly has been able to do his part for the team. And I will say, Yoshi Satsugo has been able to give the team five home runs in about two and a half weeks. So he's come in, and he's been able to give this team a little bit of something. Colin Moran is off the injured list. He's hitting at 285. But then you've got quite a few guys like a Hoy Park, Anthony Alford, Kaye Tom, Michael Perez, Cole Tucker. The list goes on and on of guys. 
hitting at the mid-nose line or below it of 200. So that's been a little bit of an issue. And other than Gregory Palunco and Brian Reynolds, you don't have a single guy on the roster with a double-digit amount of homers. And I will say for the Pittsburgh Pirates, their bullpen is a little bit better. David Bernard has been able to do a very good job all year long for the team, right around at 235 ERA. They've got Jack Cool now coming in in relief. He's been solid. Jason Shreve has been able to give you a little bit of something. Then you take a look at the flip side for the Chicago Cubs. And, well, they traded away Craig Kimbrell. They wound up trading away someone like a Ryan Tapera and Andrew Chafin as well, which means that they're going to be dealing with guys like Manuel Rodriguez and company. Good news is they no longer have Shelby Miller on the roster. It was now with the Pittsburgh Pirates with his 31.50 ERA. So, and it's also a reason to not like the Pittsburgh Pirates in the spot. But with that said, wound up taking the Cubs as a minus 142 favorite. And I wound up making this total to where an 8.5 for Laura will be a take on the over 9 or higher to the under. 907-908 on the bang board. The Atlanta Braves hit the road to face off against the Colorado Rockies. Chichi Gonzalez going to be going for the Rockies. Uscari Anoa is going to be going for the Bravos. This is a game that is presently off the board because bookmakers do not know whether or not it is going to be Mr. Yanoa who's going to be pitching for the Atlanta Braves, but I've got numbers for you as I'm going off of ESPN with the projection of Yanoa. Minus 147 is what I wind up setting the Braves at. Minus 103 on the run line of laying a run and half with the Braves, and I set the total at 11.3, so 11 or lower going to be taking a look at the over. 11.5 or higher going to be taking a look at the under. You take a look at Chichi Gonzalez, and it has been far from a terrific year from, but I will say with the Colorado Rockies, they're one of the few teams in which their bullpen actually performs better in Coors rather than other places. It's just been absolutely wild to see. Daniel Bard has right around a 3 ERA at home on the road that is north of 10. I don't know how that works. Yulis Jacine has been able to give you a couple good innings. You've even got Justin Lawrence who is able to throw 100 miles an hour. He should be able to give this team a tad bit of something, but you do take a look at Mr. Gonzalez who I was pointing out a little bit earlier, and well, he's got a 6.08 ERA so far this year. You take a look at him at home. 5.59 ERA at home. 6.56 ERA on the road has given up five home runs in 46 and two-thirds innings, and he's issuing right around 2.2 walks per nine innings, which is solid, but put in throwing a 308 off of him, and that's an issue because this is an Atlanta Braves team that they've got a whole bunch of mashers in their lineup. You've got all these guys with at least 25 home runs. Dansby Swanson, Freddie Freeman, Austin Riley, Adam Duvall. They're probably going to be without Ozzy Albies for quite a while, if not the rest of the season with the injury that he wound up suffering, but still with Riley and Freeman, both of these guys are in above a 290. Swanson sitting about a 265 and you still have a guy like a Jock Peterson that you're able to rely upon as well, hitting a 240 to be able to give this team right around a home run every 20 or so at bats. Eddie Rosario is able to give this team a little bit of depth as well with the Atlanta Braves. They've got a pretty league average bullpen, taking a little bit of a setback from last year, but still have some guys I do like. Richard Rodriguez has been able to do a solid job for this team. You've had good production all year long out of Luke Jackson. Jesse Chavez has been able to step up for this team. Tyler Madzik has had his ups and his downs, but you take a look at what he did in the months of July and August. A sub-1 ERA in both months, so he has certainly been able to come in and hold down the fourth for the Atlanta Braves, and then take a look at the Colorado Rockies, and this is the team with the best home batting average in the league on the road. They are pretty much dead last, but at home, these guys are able to do an absolutely tremendous job. You've got C.J. Crone, who's got 17 home runs at home. He's got eight on the road so far this year. That is a very demonstrative split, and you've got all these guys that are in at least a 290 at home. Ryan McMahon, Trevor Story, Brendan Rodgers, Remiel Tapia, Garrett Ampson, CJ Crone, and Connor Joe. So these guys have really been able to do a solid job whenever they've been at Coors Field. Now I do think that this is a little bit of a starting pitching mismatch, which is why I did wind up setting the Braves as a minus 147 favorite. And like I said, with both of these lineups, I do think that we're going to get some runs. So 11 or lower going to be taking a look at the over. 11 and a half or higher going to be taking a look at the under. And a 9-9-10 on the bang board. The Oakland A's hit the road to face 
off against the Detroit Tigers. Matt Manning is going to be going for the Tigers. Frankie Montas is going to be on the bump for the A's. The A's are finding themselves as favorites in the spot wherever you're able to get a line because you've got only a couple books that have put this out because it was a little bit of a switcheroo between Frankie Montas and Chaminet as we were talking about a little bit earlier with Jeff Parles. But currently finding the A's anywhere between minus 161 and minus 170 favorites. Meanwhile, on the Tigers, it's between plus 148 and plus 150. Nine is your total. Over is between minus 110 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 110. For Montas, he has been Fairly consistent home to road. He's not necessarily going to come out there and be absolutely dominant, but he's someone that has been able to do a good job of being able to hold down the fort. He is your consistent go six innings, give up three runs sort of guy. 364 road ERA, 368 home ERA. 5-3 and three on the road so far this year, giving up 8 home runs over the course of 64 and a third innings, and opponents are getting a 232 off of him. Then you take a look at Mr. Manning, and he has been so better when he's been at Detroit rather than on the road. You take a look at him on the road, 816 ERA, 1-4 record in 6 starts, giving up 5 bombs in 20 and 2 thirds innings. He's giving up 2 home runs in 30 and 2 thirds innings at home. He is giving up a couple more walks whenever he's in Detroit, but still a 293 ERA, you're able to work with that. And the Detroit Tigers bullpen has been much better from the beginning of the year to now, you've been able to have Kyle Funkhauser come in and give you some good innings. Ian Kroll is currently on the injured list, but Gregory Soto still out there for this bunch. And Jose Cicerno has a sub-3 ERA. Then you take a look at the Oakland A's, and you've been able to get some good production all year long out of some of these guys, like a Sergio Romo. Romo has had a sub-2 ERA ever since the beginning of the month of June. Now, Lou Trevino has been in a little bit of a funk recently, but I still think that he's going to be able to give the team some good innings. Jake Diekman, Deoli Escarrera are guys that are able to produce for you as well. And then when it comes to the lineup, a lot of guys with between, I would say, about a 360 to a 380 on base. You've got Starling Marte of the Marte Parte. He's got more of a round of 400 on base, hitting a 320, leading the league in stolen bases. But then Josh Harrison, Matt Olson, Mark Canna, Tony Kemp, all these guys between about a 360 to a 380 on base. And with Matt Olson, he's been able to do a great job of going yard. 32 home runs. Matt Chapman was able to find quite a bit of power in the month of August. This is a man that wound up going deep nine times in that month, so that is a very good sign for this team. Jed Lowry's been solid. He's been able to supply 13 home runs. He's hitting about a 250 for this bunch. So you've got a lot of balanced bats when it comes to this Oakland A's team. And then for the Detroit Tigers, the power is just not there right now when it comes to Jonathan Scope. Still doing a good job of being able to get on base. He's got right around a 280 batting average. But in the month of August, he wound up having one home run and he wound up having two in the month of July. So no question, he has seen a little bit of a dip there. But you do have quite a few guys that are doing a solid job of being able to reach base for you. You've got Jameer Candelario with a 350 on base. Robbie Grossman more like a 355 on base. And then with Grossman along to Eric Haas, both of these guys have at least 19 home runs as well. So that is helpful. Harold Castro is hitting about a 275. You've had Derek Hill be able to give you some good at-bats. Akil Badu is back in the fold as well. He's hitting about a 255. Nico Goodrum is hoping to be able to give this team a little bit of something towards back half of the season. And Miguel Cabrera, you take a look at him ever since the beginning of the month of July. And he's been able to hit right in the neighborhood about a 260-ish. So that has been very helpful, Mr. 501, Miguel Cabrera. But... I do take a look at the spot, and I do think that the Oakland A's should be a relatively sizable favorite, but I actually would have preferred Shamanea a little bit more in this spot, which is why I was willing to take the Tigers as long as I was getting that plus 150 price that I'm seeing right now. So, going to be riding with the Tigers in this spot. Also, wound up saying the sold at 9.2, so we're going to be going over along with the Tigers. 9-11, 9-12 on the betting board. You've got the Tampa Bay Rays, and they're going to be playing also the Boston Red Sox. 
Eduardo Rodriguez is going to be going for the Sucks. Meanwhile, Shane McLannan is going to be on the bump for the Rays. Rays are finding themselves between minus 150 and minus 160 favorites. If you're looking at the Red Sox, between plus 139 and plus 140 is your price. Eight is your total. Over is between minus 110 and minus 115. Under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. And with McLannan, he has really been able to come on. He has won 12 straight starts, giving up three runs or fewer. So he's been able to lock in very much with that regard. And we were talking about it with our good buddy Jeff. This is a Boston Red Sox team that is dealing with a whole bunch of guys out due to COVID-19 in that bullpen. Matt Barnes along with Eric Cazuzado-Mora, Yario Munoz in the infield along Xander Bogarts. They're out due to COVID. Kike Hernandez in the outfield. He is out as well, and I think that the towel boy might be out due to COVID-19 as well. So that is not necessarily too terrific. You take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays team, and what is terrific is that you've got four guys with north of 20 home runs so far this year, Austin Meadows, Brandon Lau, Mike Zanino, along Nelson Cruz. And you take a look at what you've been able to get out of Brandon Lau along with Austin Meadows. Both of these guys hitting between about a 232 240, but both of these guys north of a 320 on base. Randy Orozarena, along with Nelson Cruz, Wander Franco, someone that you're able to throw in there as well. Only between a 270 and 275. And going into yesterday, Wander Franco was having a 31-game on-base streak. He wound up getting a home run yesterday, so he wound up extending that to 32. Yandy Diaz along G-Man Choi. Able to throw in their Manuel Margot as well, hitting between a 250 to a 260, but with Choi along Diaz, both of these guys have right around a 360 on-base, so they have been able to do their part. And Joey Wendell sitting at 275. Then you take a look at what's left of the Boston Red Sox, and so pretty good as you've got Alex Verdugo, J.D. Martinez, and Rafael Devers, only between about a 270 to a 285. Martinez is north of 20 home runs so far this year. Verdugo hasn't necessarily been able to give you as much power, but then you've got Rafael Devers, who entered into yesterday. Second in the league in RBI with 97, 32 home runs. He certainly has been able to do his part. You've got Hunter Renfro and Kyle Schwarber. Pair of guys hitting between a 255 to a 265. Both of these guys have north of 25 home runs so far this year. Christian Vasquez is hitting about a 255 as well, but now you're looking at guys like Jonathan Aruz and Jack Lopez in the infield, which that is not necessarily what you want. And with this raised bullpen, they've got back Pete Fairbanks along with J.P. Fireisen, which that's going to be able to help them out. J.T. Chargois in the month of August had right around a one-ish ERA, which is absolutely terrific. And then you have to go up against the Boston Red Sox team, which, well, they are right now down on their luck when it comes to the bullpen pitching as Steven Gonsalves is trying to give you innings right now. Brian Brazier is a guy that just came back for this team. That is going to be help, the, help them out, but John Scriber is now giving them innings. Garrett Woodlock, Phillips, Valdez, these guys have been relatively solid, but have been used quite a bit this year. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, you still have Andrew Kittrich as well. So this is a situation which I did wind up saying the Rays more around a minus 168 favorite because I have absolutely no faith here in Eduardo Rodriguez being able to lend length for a bullpen that badly needs it. Now with Rodriguez, he might be able to go five or six innings, but in the process, he'll probably give up like four plus runs. We've just noticed it with him all year long. He has given up a combined eight runs in his last two starts across 12 and two-thirds innings, so that has been a little bit of an issue. His walks are starting to creep up a little bit as well after he was doing such a good job at the beginning part of the year of limiting those, but he has been able to give you north of 10 strikeouts per nine innings, and somehow the Red Sox just keep winning his starts. They are 12-4 and four in his last 15 starts, which is absolutely remarkable, given what he's done so far this year. A 475 road ERA, giving up 11 home runs in 77 and two-thirds innings away from Fenway, with bonus hitting at 283 off of him. So I do look at this spot, I think that the Red Sox not necessarily going to be able to produce as much on offense, but I think that the Rays are certainly going to be able to get to Rodriguez and this beating up bullpen. So set this all in 9.2. I'm going to be going over and wind up saying the race more around about a minus 168-ish favorite. If you're taking a look at the run line in this spot, 
Finding that between a plus 128 and a plus 135, I was willing to take this at anything above about a plus 115. So I'm going to look at that raise run line, and I'm going to be going with the over. New York Post play today is up with 913-914 on the bank board. The Cleveland Indians hit the road faceoff against the Kansas City Royals. Chris with the K. Bubich is going to be going for the Royals. Tradis Tim McKenzie is going to be on the bump for the Indians. Right now, the only place that has a line on this is DraftKings. Finding that with the Indians at minus 120, even money on the Royals. And your total is 8.5 over is minus 120, and the under is even. I want to make the New York Post play of the day the Cleveland Indians. You take a look at what Tristan McKenzie was able to do in the month of August, and he was nothing short of masterful. He wound up having that perfect game bid that wound up getting broken up in the eighth inning in one of his most recent starts. Wound up having a sub-2 ERA in the month of August, so he has been able to really rein it in. And what was really killing Tristan McKenzie towards the beginning of the year is walks. In his first 11, 12 starts of the year, he was giving up north of seven walks per nine innings. He has two walks given up in his last four starts, so has been able to do a great job with that. He has given up a combined three runs in his last three starts, so has been able to really rein it in in that regard, and this is someone that in McKenzie has been a tad bit worse on the road than he has been at home, but this has just been a completely rebuilt pitcher ever since he wound up coming back up to the big leagues, and opponents are just a buck 78 off of him, and he's getting a little bit north of 10.5 strikeouts per nine innings. Meanwhile, you take a look at Chris with K. Bubich, and his August was not necessarily as great as he wound up posting up a 7.15 ERA across his five starts, wound up giving up six home runs over the course of 22 and two-thirds innings. Now, I will say with Chris with K. Bubich, it certainly has been a very demonstrative home and road split for him. 428 home ERA, 606 road ERA. The big thing is a home run, so he's given up five home runs in 48 and a third innings in Kansas City. 15 over the course of 49 innings on the road, so that's a little bit of an issue. You take a look at both of these lineups, and both of them have been able to do a good job of being able to put runs up on the board. You've got Salvador Perez with his 38 home runs. He is trying to track down some of the MLB leaders with that regard. He has been able to do an absolutely amazing job. And then you've got a bunch of guys in between, I would say, about a 270 5 to a 285. You've got Emmanuel Rivera, who's currently just below that, but Salvador Perez with Merrifield, they're both in this fold. And then Nicky Lopez has all of a sudden been able to shoot up to a 294 with his batting average. Andrew Benatendi sitting about a 255 with Enter Alberto as well. Ada Alberto Mondesi is finally back in the fold for this team. Then you've got a Cleveland Indians team that you've got quite a few guys in between, I would say, about a 250 to a 270. Harold Ramirez is back in the fold. Bradley Zimmer, Framio Reyes, Jose Ramirez. You're able to throw in their Miles Straw as well, all doing a great job. And Ramirez and Reyes have been able to go deep quite a bit. Jose Ramirez, 31 home runs. Fran Mill Reyes going into yesterday, 24 of them. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of this bullpen as well. Emmanuel Classe has been very good. Brian Shaw has been able to give you some good innings. Nick Wickren has been a little bit up and down so far this year, but a guy like Blake Parker has been solid. James Karinchek has been a little bit of a mess for this team. Looks like he's currently on the injured list. And then with the Kansas City Royals, they're dealing with one of their best relief arms and Scott Barlow who has been a little bit up and down recently, but certainly has been able to give you quite a bit all year long. 256 ERA wound up having more like a 3-5-ish ERA ever since the All-Star break, but by and large, has been able to give you quite a bit of something. Jake Brents just came off the injury list that is going to be able to help them out because well, yesterday they wound up having to trot out their Jackson Keller for a start. Not necessarily what you want, Domingo Tapia, Kyle Zimmer. These guys have had trials and tribulations along. Tyler Zuber has got north of a 6 ERA, so certainly have some Pumps in the road there. I do think that McKenzie is going to be able to outduel Mr. Chris with the K. Bubich. So the New York Post for the day is going to be the money line of the Cleveland Indians. Also, want to say.
playing the solo 9.7. I think that this is too low, given the way that Bubich has been giving up a bunch of runs recently. So, going over, along with the Cleveland Indians, which is a New York Post play, and wrap things up with 9.15, 9.16 on the betting board. The Philadelphia Phillies hit the road to face off against the Washington Nationals. Paulo Espino is going to be going for the Nets. Aaron Supernola is going to be going for the Philadelphia Phillies. Currently, we have no numbers up on this game because the game wound up just getting relisted. Game just wound up getting postponed. So, got a couple moving parts. But when this game wound up going off the board last night, we were seeing the Phillies as between about a minus 156 to a minus 172 favorite. Meanwhile, if you were looking at the Nats, and were between plus 147 and plus 157, it was your price. And half was the total. Overs anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Unders anywhere between even a minus 105. If we get similar numbers, going to be taking a look at the Philadelphia Phillies. Want to lay up to about a minus 164 on the money line. If you're looking at the run line, that was right around a minus 105 to even money with the Philadelphia Phillies run line. I'm willing to take it if it's a minus 105. Pretty much anything below a minus 110. Going to be a take for me, and I also made this total 9.1. You take a look at Nola, and he hasn't been the same pitcher on the road as he has been at home. Right around a 5.12 ERA on the road, 3.33 ERA at home. But then you take a look at Paulo Espino, and things have really dried up for him. Wound up having a very good start to the year, and things have really hit a screeching halt for him in the month of August. A 7.45 ERA across his five starts giving up six home runs over the course of 19 and a third inning, so that no doubt has been an issue. You take a look at him home to road and he has been a little bit better at home. 383 home ERA, 460 road ERA, 3-4 record at home, but has given up eight home runs in 49 and a third innings. That opponent's earning a 255 off of him. He is going to be backed up by a bullpen that is relatively solid. He would be able to get some good innings out of someone like a Mason Thompson. I do like what I'm seeing out of Ryan Harper as well. He's got right around two-ish ERA, but then you got Sam Clay and he has not necessarily been too terrific so far this year. A 5-5 ERA, and this team gets downgraded because you've got Wander. I swear this guy sucks back in the fold. He's got a 694 ERA ever since the beginning of the month of July. His ERA is north of 10, so he has been absolutely terrible. Then you've got a Philadelphia Phillies team in which the bullpen has their deficiencies as well. They're kicking the tires on Cam Bedrosian. That's not necessarily a good sign. San Kudrod is someone with right around a 4 ERA, but Archie Bradley has been able to give you a little bit of something. Wound up having a terrible last week or so, but by and large, been able to give you about a 3-5-ish ERA. J.D. Hammer has a sub-2 ERA. Hector Neris certainly has had his ups and his downs. And Ian Kennedy, ever since coming over from Texas, he's got right around a 6 ERA. But for the Philadelphia Phillies, this is a lineup that is really starting to cook with some gas. You've got a guy in Bryce Harper that has been able to do a great job all year long and being able to get on base. He's got a 420 on base, 306 batting average, has won team 26 times so far this year. Andrew McCutcheon needs to work on the batting average in just a 222, but a 340 on base, which is very important, 22 home runs. So he's been able to give you a little bit of something. Now, D.D. Gregorio is hitting right around 220. I expect a little bit more out of him, but Gene Segura is living up to his billing, hitting at 295. He's been able to do a good job of being able to be a little bit of a concept for this team, and then you take a look at what you're getting out of the Washington Nationals, and Juan Soto along Josh Bell have been absolutely terrific. Bell and Soto have been able to give you a combined 45 home runs. Bell's hitting about a 250, and for Juan Soto, about a 440 on base, so that has been absolutely magnificent. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of some of the ancillary pieces as well, but then you've got a lot of guys that are hitting right around a 225 or lower. You're able to throw in there a little bit of a newer player in Adrian Sanchez, Andrew Stevenson, who's been up and down with the team, Luis Garcia, Victor Robles, who it looks like is currently injured. These guys have not necessarily been able to do the job. Chase Barrera, whenever he's been behind the dish, sitting right around 265. I do like what I've seen out of LCDs. Escobar coming over from the MPB. He's hitting a 280, so been able to have a little bit of something there, but I do take a look at this spot. I do think that Espino is going to continue his trend of 
bad starts, and Aaron Nola is going to be super enough to be able to get the Phillies through the window. So, going to be taking a look at the Phillies on the run line, and I'm going to be taking a look at this total over, and that will wrap things up for the Baseball Winning Podcast on this Thursday. A big thanks to Jeff Parles of VEASAN for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you've got one or two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters M. they mean does not matter. So, as per usual, send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast into the comment section of that five-star review. Going to be coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season, which means coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.